Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hi, this is Aurea Bolaños Perea, and I am the host of the Guerreras podcast. Guerreras is dedicated to empower and guide Latinas to find their political voice and use it to empower their community and the country. Our episodes include interviews with activists, scholars, politicians, candidates, and much more. We are so thankful that Latina Podcaster Network has allowed us to be part of a platform that inspires the next future generation of women leaders like ourselves. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. I know. I'm so glad we did this such a quick turnaround, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into like how we actually met, but I'm so excited. Do you go by Kimberly or Kim? Kimberly, yeah. Okay. I always like to ask just to make sure because (laughs) I don't want to be like Kim and you're like, no, that's not. (laughs) (laughs) But you have a quite the like repertoire girl like reading your bio I was like damn she has done a lot of stuff (laughs) so I'm really excited to talk to you because there's a lot of things that we can talk about but before we talk that's the chisme do you know what chisme means by the way oh my gosh I feel like I looked it up oh gossip right yes yes Yes. okay So, but in the, in the context that we have it here is you get to spill the gossip on yourself on whatever okay. topic you like. So it's kind of changing the cheese instead of being like, girl, did you see that other one over here? Da, 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 da. It's, it's about you and me and the topics that are happening. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, but before we get into that, we always get into the wine. Love. Today, I, I don't know if you're drinking or not, but I am drinking a Francis Coppola Diamond Collection 2017 Black Label Claret. Yeah, it's crazy. So this type of wine is not just a, like a claret is a blend. I actually do happen to like these Francis Coppola wines. And this one is 80% Cabernet Sauvignon, 17% Petit Verdot. I'm guessing that's how you say it. I don't know. 2% Petit Syrah and 1% Malbec with a 13.9% alcohol. So in their tasting notes, it says that's signature red wine layered with flavors of blackberry, cassis, and roasted espresso. Not not espresso. And it's a Cabernet Sauvignon-based wine blended in the classic Bordeaux style. So that's what I'm drinking. Are you drinking today? 
I I am drinking water. So uh, cheers. You're cheers like I'm you. drinking water, air filtered, <laughs> and sun. I really actually do like uh, Coppola wines. He does a really good job of the wines that he does. So not only a master behind in cinema, but a master in wine as well. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into it, girl. You are currently in Atlanta, right? That's where you live right now? Technically, yes, but also no. So so we got it. We have to spill it. So um, I... I am a resident of Georgia, but I, since the pandemic started, I have been a little bit of everywhere for different reasons. So I was in North Carolina with my family for a while because um, I didn't want to be by myself um, yeah. in my own house. Also, I found out right when the pandemic started that my mom was expecting that my grandmother wasn't going to live very much longer. So she was saying, you know, before they start to shut down transit and you're not able to to travel, you should probably come so that you can see your grandmother. So I did that. And my grandmother ended up passing over the summer and also my aunt. So um, it was a good thing. Oh, thank you. Um, it was a good thing to be able to say I'm at home so that I can participate in not only seeing them, but honoring their lives, you know, mm-hmm. after, after their passing. So at the same time over the summer, I actually signed with an agent. And so my agent ha- is in New York. And so I've been in New York quite a bit since Wait, are we going to get some August. breaking news during this? <laughs> are we going to get some breaking news during this podcast? No, nothing breaking. Like, so for me, having an agent means just having access to more opportunities. So um, I still have to, I still have to get my feet wet. I still have to do more training. I still have to do the auditions, just like everybody else who wants to be an actor. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm still in that that process. But no, there's no there's no breaking news at the moment. Um, just some really fun auditions that I've done recently. Oh, cool. Well, we'll get into that later. But OK, well, you've been all over the place. But what, how did you grow up? Like what area did you grow up? Like what was your di- family dynamic growing up? Yeah, so I'm from North Carolina. So I am a traditional black Southern gal in the sense of of how I grew up. So everything in my family kind of centered around the matriarch. So my grandmother, who I mentioned before, and the community that we built together specifically around food. And that's kind of how I fell in love with food. It was what food meant in my community and how it brought people together. So uh, Mexican, I definitely hear that. (laughs) Exactly. So um, not only did, did I fall in love with the flavor, but just the creativity and trying new things and uh, stepping outside of even your the 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 food ways that you're familiar with and trying new things. And so that's kind of how I got into being interested not only in possibly being a chef, but then also more specifically being a chef on TV. Like that's watching Food Network, growing up with my grandmother, watching that like on TV nonstop, like just incessantly, right. it made me want to say, okay, I want to do that. Like I want to be on TV cooking. So what did your parents envision for you growing up? And were they, because you've had a very interesting path that we'll get yeah. into in regards to getting even to this point and even how we met, I feel like doesn't <laughs> necessarily go in the path that you're on, but it's a, well, you've previously walked, right? Yes. In yes. like the IT space. 
So what were your, what was your parents like hopes for you growing up and when, and did they allow you to have like an opinion in regards to what, if your, if your dreams weren't necessarily aligning with their dreams, were they supportive of that? Yeah. So my parents really had no picture of what they wanted me to be. They wanted me to be whatever I felt like would make me happy. Now, I will say that my mom is very much a traditionalist and she's interested in security. And so that's how she grew up. So she's always thinking of or saying things like, you need to make sure that you have a good job. So every, it doesn't matter what job it is, as long as it is a secure job where you go to work every day and you take home a paycheck, that is security for her because then that, then she can feel like she's done her job as a mother and that I'm taken care of. Now, I, on the other hand, am an entrepreneur. And so I stress her out because (laughs) my life does not look like a job. Like I don't have a job. I create my own space. I create my own work. And I do that in a way that is inconsistent. But when it's great, it's great. Um, And that's not something that she's, that makes her feel safe. You know what I've learned during this pandemic, nothing is guaranteed. Even that job that we think is so secure, that's a lot of people lost that and that's no guarantee of anything anymore. Exactly. And I think it's something, there's something empowering about being able to create your own path, especially when we have situations like this where you've been laid off and it has to do with things that you can't control, you know? So how creative can you be in this moment? How um, can you lean into ingenuity and make something different? And so I know we had talked about like my paths kind of being a little bit different and just not necessarily seeming like they connect. But the way that I like to tell people, like, what do I do? It's basically I tell stories and whether I'm acting, whether I am cooking, whether I am writing, everything is centered around um, me telling a story. And so that's that's how I describe who I am and what I do. Well, when you went to college, you ended up with a bachelor's of science in marketing. Correct. But you ended up being in IT and you were the CEO of Content Park. What is content? How did you get like, when did you decide when you decided to go to college? How did you decide that marketing was what you're going to do marketing there. And then how do you go from marketing into being a CEO of a tech company? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my first major in college was actually chemical engineering. Um, I had a very strong slant towards all things, technology, math, and science. I even went to a, a science, math, and technology high school. So when I went to college, I thought I would do something in that way. So I focused first on chemical engineering because I wanted to then get a a master's in um, biomedical engineering because ultimately what I wanted to do was create prosthetic limbs for people, uh, for amputees. I started studying chemical engineering and then I hated it. Like, I just was like, I can't do this the rest of my life. Like, what what is happening? Like, I just know. So it was so funny because I was talking to my dean and he had actually called me into the office my sophomore year, the second semester of my sophomore year. And he was like, Kimberly, you're doing such a great job in the department. I wanted to let you know that we're about to give out 
our top performers award for um, this semester. And we're going to be giving, it's like a little ceremony. So I wanted to let you know so that you can invite your parents. And I said, oh, I'm changing my major. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, like, yeah. the top performer in this. And you're like, yeah, but I don't like it. Yeah, no. So I realized at that point that it was very important to me that I have creativity because I'm very much a 50-50 split between my mom and my dad. My mom is a teacher and she's a creative. She's a singer. She's an artist. My dad is the scientist. He's literally a chemist. And so I leaned into that thinking like, okay, I want to make money. My mom is a teacher. She doesn't make much money. She sings. She doesn't make any money on that. I want to make money. My dad makes money. So, so I said, let's do that. So he must have yeah. been so proud when you first told him what you, that you're going into chemical engineering. Yeah, I have no idea. We didn't talk much. <laughs> <laughs> so I have no idea. He probably was like, yeah, she wants to be like me when she grows up. But like, no, I didn't. I changed my mind. I really just wanted I wanted money. I mean, I'm just being honest. I didn't want to be broke. I mean, who doesn't, right? right. We all we all want money. Let's, let's be real. Right. <laughs> so I changed my major. I realized that I needed to be a little bit more like my mom to be happy. And that is finding a space where I can be creative. And so I learned what marketing was then. Because prior to that, the only thing that I knew was science, math, and technology. I didn't even know what marketing meant. Someone told me they were marketing major. And I said, you're a what? And what does that do? So once I got into it and started to understand, that's when I shifted. Now, remember, I said I had a background in science, math, and technology. And so when I graduated and got into my first few jobs, I still had that slant. I was still interested in the analytics and marketing. I was still interested in the website development and the technology behind it. So when I started Content Park, Content Park was a content development company, but we had a slant just like I do towards technology. So technically it's not a tech company, even though we, we leveraged quite a bit of technology to accomplish what we did. Essentially we were, we were a group of writers. And so we used um, content to tell a story that would perform not only well when people read it, but also in search engines, which is very valuable to somebody who is dependent on traffic, finding them, in order for them to sell and to de develop their business. And so that's the really long and boring story about how I got to, how I got to kind of that, that technology side of marketing. How, so, but you, from there, when did you decide to let go of Content Park? Is it still a company or did you just- No, it's not. So Content Park was, um, I love Content Park. I loved everybody we worked with. We had an incredible team, actually all women, and in 2017, I started to get a bit stressed about the business because I, we had reached a particular threshold and I was trying to push the business to a half a million dollar company. And I was working really hard and I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. And I'm like, I really want to hit this milestone because we've been doing really well, but I want to go farther. So I took some really big risks that didn't pay off. And I had to decide at that point whether or not I was going to tell everybody, okay, so listen, we've got about 60 days before the company is no longer, or if I was going to stress myself out even more. And so I decided to just say, hey, everybody, we've got about 60 days. Everybody can get paid through that period, but we need to all start looking for work because this is not going to you know, last because I took some risks, they didn't pan out. And now we don't have the, um, we don't have the runway to continue. So, you know, everybody kind of understood what was going on. 
we, I'm a, I'm a very communicative kind of boss. So it wasn't like this was a surprising thing for them because we had been having these conversations for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't believe in hiding things from the people that you work with, especially when they have the families depending on you. Um, we had eight team members and so that's eight families. Pretty nice size. Yeah. So we had eight people who depended on what I was doing. And so I was like, yeah, we tried, we hired two people to help with sales. Neither of those worked effectively. And so I took that as a sign, just like, okay, this is not what I need to be doing. And so in 2018, um, I let the business go, um, dissolved it. And then I pretty much went into a depression for the first time. Like I didn't know what depression actually felt like until that moment. Like I couldn't, I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to lay on the couch. I kind of barely ate food. Like I just was like a zombie. I think for months realize that they don't realize like what depression actually is until you've gone through it. Yeah. Right. Cause I've gone through it as well. And it's almost like, like people think, Oh, you're just, you'll snap out of it. You're no, that's not what depression is. Like depression yeah. isn't a, a fleeting feeling like being sad or being, angry. Right. it's, there's literally, there's different things that can actually cause a chemical imbalance in your brain that and you just need something that triggers it, mm-hmm. right? So in this case, it was the dissolvement of your company. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really difficult thing to go through. It's not something that you can just snap out of. So I appreciate right. you like sharing that. When you decided to dissolve, when you were taking these risks, and I know it's not always easy to share that I took these risks and they didn't pay off. So- right. But I think it's important for those people to hear that because failure doesn't mean the end of you, right? For you, do you feel like it was like, I think you kind of touched on it where you just felt like this is not meant for me anymore versus I'm a failure. Like, how did you walk the line between that? Yeah, well, I think I've done a pretty good job at my own personal mental health for quite some time to where I separate myself from the things that I do. Um, I am a person. I have certain values. The things that I do as far as work, they are not me. They are things that I do. Right. Um, Now you can kind of mix some, you know, some things in there in, in the sense that, you know, your, your values may show up in what you do. Um, your personality may show up in what you do, but again, it's not you especially since there are certain things you simply cannot control. You know, I cannot be in control of how quickly an organization signs a contract. I can't be in control of the fact that an organization had the budget for a project and now that budget is gone. Like these are things that I can do nothing about, but because of how I built the, the runway for the business for, you know, our pipeline, then I have to take responsibility around the fact that I did not effectively build a pipeline because I was so heavily dependent on contracts that I thought we had. I mean, we're talking about um, six-figure contracts that we thought we had that we then lost, you know, because of something that had nothing to do with us. So it was like, okay, we had invested months into getting this together. And then it's like, oh, we decided to go in a different way. And it's just like, that, I mean, it just drops out from under you because instead of focusing on the smaller businesses that may say, okay, here's a couple hundred dollars here. Here's a couple thousand dollars here. We went after the big monster 
the good, I don't mean a monster in a bad way, but I, I guess the big fish may be a better word. We went after the big fish and it didn't pan out, you know? So there were a few fish in the, in our, in our barrel, if you will. And neither of them panned out for reasons that we couldn't control. Yes. So I had to say, okay, this is, this is not working. And I am too stressed to continue um, because I had, not only was I running a company, I was also running a, a major like sales department by myself because the people that I hired did not um, pan out well. So we had to let them go as well. So, so yeah, I just realized, Hey, it's not me, but at the same time, I didn't, the, the reason, the thoughts that I had in my depressive state were, what am I going to do? Not that I'm a failure. It's just that I can't go back to content development right now. I can't be a writer right now. Like that, the idea of it is so stressful and I don't want to restart that business what am I going to do? Do I have to get a job? I don't want to get a job. Like I hate jobs. Like that's just (laughs) not me, you know? So it's all of the idea of all of that was stressful. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I can't, I only have so much money in the bank. And so right now I'm depressed and can't do anything. And so it was like this rock in a hard place because my body didn't want to do anything. My mind was saying that I should, but it didn't, but I didn't know what that should, should be. And my bank account was getting low. And I'm like, this is a train wreck. (laughs) Oh my goodness, it was a train wreck. So what was it that started? What was the catalyst that started you figuring out where else you wanted to go? Because before we get into what I like, what we, how we met, right? Right. Have this other company now. You're the founder of Might Be Vegan. And Mm -hmm. I know earlier you were saying how food is what connects culture. I mean, I think a lot of us, especially when you're coming from communities of color, that food is very much representative of of our cultures and different things. So what was the catalyst? Did you go direct? Like, is, did your mindset go straight into cooking or did you, was there something else before you landed on this? No, there was, there was nothing else. Um, I, I took kind of odd and in jobs while I was figuring out what might be vegan was going to be. But I knew that I wanted to get into the food space because I asked myself the hard question is, what is it that I love? Like, what is it? And it really just took me back to something that my friends have shared with me. uh, My family has shared with me is that I am really talented when it comes to cooking And I knew at some point I wanted, maybe I want to have a restaurant. Maybe I want to cook for people. I want to do something with food. However, I wasn't sure what that something would be because coming out of a situation where you don't have a lot of money, you know, and you might, I was actually negative at that point. Um, I'm not going to start a business right now where I have to go get a loan. Like that doesn't make sense. Like I can't do that. So how, what does getting into the food space mean? So at that stage, I had actually um, decided to go vegetarian and then soon after go vegan. Um, and I, I just started making recipes and sharing those with people and just kind of getting a sense for it. I started going into people's homes and cooking for them. That's when I realized I didn't want to stand up in the kitchen and cook all day. I love the creative part <laughs> of recipe creation. And I love cooking when, when I have the feeling to cook, but I don't like somebody telling me fired to cook. Exactly. There's the the inspiration, but just to be like, show up and cook today. I mean, it kind of goes back into the job thing. Like I don't like jobs that have this structure that say, this is what you have to do. Um, I love creating a space where 
I'm able to say, this is what I get to do. And so um, I didn't want to stand up in the kitchen. So I said, how can I make money with food without cooking? (laughs) Wow. Well, let me before. Yeah. So how did you decide that you went from, you know, knowing you want to do food, then you're like, okay, I'm going to go vegetarian. Okay. Now I'm going to go vegan. Like, what was that? transition like for you? Because I think all anytime somebody decides to go vegetarian and vegan, those are very personal decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think either way, you cannot shame somebody based on what they decide their diet should be, hopefully a healthy diet in whatever capacity. But what was your personal journey from going from, you know, a carnivore to a vegetarian to a vegan? Yeah. So It started probably many years ago when I just became very much aware of what I was putting in my body, probably as a teenager. Um, Certain foods would make me feel more sluggish. Certain foods would take a, a really long time to process through my body. And I wanted to figure out how I could live healthier, but still enjoy food. And the reason that being healthier was important to me is because I watched older adults in my family deal with so many health issues. And I didn't want my body to get to a point where I was dealing with the same thing. So I said, okay, how can I at 16, 17 years old make a better, make better choices? So the first thing that I decided was, okay, I'm going to get rid of pork. So I haven't had pork since I was about 17 years old. The next thing that went was beef. Um, I had stopped eating beef on the regular. I would only have beef maybe like two to three times a month. Um, I was reading something about how beef takes like a week to process through your body. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So first it's dead, then I eat it. And then it's like dead, dead in my body for like a week. (laughs) That sounds gross. (laughs) So I was just like- say it that way, it doesn't sound gross. So I said, okay, wait. So it's like literally decomposing and rotting in my body for that long. I was like, oh no, this is not a good idea. So I said, okay, let me get rid of beef. So I still had chicken and some fish for a while and, you know, other types of poultry and that kind of thing. Um, And then it got to a point where I was like, okay, well, what's the next thing for me? Because I'm always thinking about personal improvement. And that next thing was vegetarian. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard because I mean, I still, I mean, I still like turkey bacon, even though you know, I don't eat pork bacon. I still like turkey bacon. I mean, I still like fried chicken. I'm from the (laughs) South. We love fried chicken. Like, what are you doing to me? So it was so interesting because one day I was in the kitchen, I was cooking a hen. I had um, seasoned it really, really well. And, you know, the hens have like all their body parts on them, except for the head and the feet. Yeah. And I remember looking at the hen and actually feeling compassion for the hen like, oh my God, like I literally just, like I killed you. It's kind of like that moment where you like run over a squirrel by mistake when you're driving. You're like, oh my God, no. That's the moment that I had. And I was like, that's the first time that I had that with meat. Because in my mind, meat is food, not, it's not a being, it's food. Like that's how my brain worked. Um, So fast forward, I can no longer cook meat at home, cook chicken or anything like that at home. But then eventually it became where I could no longer eat it out. And it was at that point that I started to understand the global impact that the meat industry is having on 
our environment that's having on the communities around where the factory farms are. And then it became less about me eating healthier and more about environmental justice. Because one of the things that I know is is growing up in North Carolina, we have a ton of pig farms. The people around that live around those pig farms are sicker than those who don't live around those pig farms because there's so much waste. There's so much um, air pollution that happens because there are so many animals confined to so much space. Now, this is a very different conversation, like for someone who raises their own animals, like you maybe have four or five, maybe 10 animals on your 10 pigs on your farm. That's very different than thousands upon thousands on a small piece. It's very different. And so industrial farming is not only harming our environment, it's harming people. And I can't consciously consider myself an advocate for people, an activist or anything like that, if I continue to support those industries that are harming especially people of color and people who live in poverty. And so at that point it became like, no, this is, this is not okay. Yeah. I want to go more back into like your, your brand with might be vegan, but before we go into that, I want to talk about how we met. Yeah. Because it's so interesting, right? Like it's, (laughs) I wrote, so how we met was I randomly get a Facebook message from you. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Basically asking me if I'm, um, about made with melanin. Now, for those who don't know, made with melanin is, I don't even know how many face they have like 30,000, I think something like that face Instagram. Followers. No, half, half a million. Oh, half a million. Oh, why did I think 30,000? They have something <laughs> crazy in regards to, and they had actually reached out to me. Somebody had reached out to me saying like, they would love for me to work with them. And I thought that I had vetted them properly. Um, I had gone to their website. I had asked like who I was speaking with and, and everything. And I, I didn't do enough vetting. I will say that, but I thought I did enough where I got a shirt and it was like, they're like, Oh, you get 30% off, blah, blah, blah. And I do like the shirt. It looked a little bit different because the quality isn't as big. It's a little bit higher than I thought it was going to be. And was a little bit different and it took forever to get it. I don't even know how long it took to get it, but I finally got it and I was excited. So I, I receive a message from you and you're basically telling me like, girl, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> they are not who they appear to be. Yeah. And I felt so stupid. And I, and I, and I say this because I want to be honest, right? I want to be yeah. honest because I was like, oh man, I fucked up basically. Like I feel so stupid because I like, I'm very much, this whole podcast is based on, you know, representing people from the BIPOC community. And I want to support black and brown and indigenous businesses. I want, so here I am thinking, oh, I'm doing a great thing. And really I like basically got bamboozled and how many other people are being bamboozled. So how, how did you start zeroing in on made with made by melanin in yeah. particular. Yeah. So my my focus for I know this is going to seem like a step back, but it'll make sense in a second. My focus for might be vegan is is um, not just about food; it's about food justice. And so a lot of the content that I create will focus on brands, particularly food brands, and how they are engaging 
in the BIPOC community, how they are participating in anti-racism, um, what DEI looks like for them. And I've created a lot of content around that. And because of that, it just so happened where someone who follows me um, some kind of way on Instagram, I ended on a page that said, you know, these people are like scammers and they're not black owned, even though they look like it. And I'm like, what is this? So I start like just looking into it and researching and checking out their Instagram page and going to their website, very much similar to what you did. But because of my technology background, there are some things that I knew how to look up that some that the average person wouldn't know how to look up. Because on the on the basic search, it uh, it looks like a black owned company. Right. Because on Instagram, there's a black woman who is the face of their um, social media icon. They have quite a few of uh, black people wearing their shirts on their social media pages. They've got black people on their website and it's just like, oh, okay, well, this is probably a black owned company. Now, re- okay, sure. They actually have never said we are a black owned company. But when you have a face that's black and all your other faces are black, you're kind of saying that you're black. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how you can, I mean, if I were to do that, like if I were to put a face, put your face on my profile page and put your face on my website, people would assume that I was you, yeah. not someone else. So it just kind of, it rubbed me the wrong way. And it just, it kind of enraged me a little bit because I was like, is this site actually taking advantage of black trauma? And trying to push Black Lives Matter and equality content and, you know, pretend to be one thing because we asked them, are you a black owned company? And they ignored the question or they respond, we don't understand the question. And I'm like, yeah, this doesn't sit well with me. So How I started do you not to understand dig. the question. Right. How is that? That doesn't that doesn't make sense. Right. And I'm like, huh. So it just it 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 just rubbed me the wrong way. And so that's when I started to really dig into it because I wanted to know who was responsible. And what did you find when you were digging into it? Oh, good Lord. So girl, there's a whole video (laughs) and a whole bunch of stuff that I actually did. Which I saw because you sent it to me. You're like, look at this. (laughs) Ma'am. Oh my goodness. So the first thing that we found, okay. If you just go to their Instagram page, which is actually at this point has been banned um, because of the work that we've been doing. Their Instagram page is banned. Oh, it is? Yes. Oh, I need to check it again. (laughs) But if you had gone to their Instagram page, underneath it, you'll see comments like white lives matter, blue lives matter, um, F this N word. Like you'll see all of those kinds of comments underneath the page. That right that enough, that in and of itself is enough for me to say no person of color would allow that content on their site, period. Like not something that's legitimately managed by any person of color and anybody who is. I didn't see anything on their Instagram before like that. Yes. Yes. So, I, so, you know, I took screenshots so I can show you later, but there's definitely, um, there was F the N word, the way that they the person posted it is that they did one letter at a time. So they were like F and then the next comment was U, the next comment was C and then K. So it just kind of went that way. And then, then the N word. They created another page. 
yes. So right now they have a backup page um, that they've been hoping to grow. Um, But I'm already on top of that. So. It There's a major, so and that and then they have dot backup too. And now, that, so they started both of those the day after they got banned. And the, one is with that same woman, mm-hmm. and the other one is with a black man. Yes. So they both started off with the same woman that was on there. That's on their website. The within two to three days um, after I communicated with the backup site they changed their image to a group of white boys who looked like they were just having fun outside. Within maybe four or five days after that, they changed it to that black man that you see there. The other thing that bothered me is the fact that, and this is the part of the what makes this a scam, is two things. One, they're reaching out to people, they're spamming everybody on Instagram and asking them to be a brand ambassador. The thing about a brand ambassador is that it is a paid role. So you should either get paid to post or you get paid in free product. So if you're asked to pay for your product, you're no longer a brand ambassador, you're a customer. And so I had a ton of people say, well, when I bought the shirt because they said that they were going to post me. So I thought it was kind of like an exchange sort of thing so I could get promoted. Well, when the majority of the likes and the comments on the site are from robots and from purchased likes, what amplification and what promotion do you think you're actually getting because it's not legitimate now they do have real followers but their likes and engagement are not real they're all by people who look like they're from um, east asia and so you kind of know what that look is when you see you know those those faces and those icons pop up but the other thing that's even worse is the fact that they say that they're donating to causes they made one donation to a cause, they had that one donation up for maybe four to six months. They hadn't made any donations since that time. And honestly, when I saw that, I was like, oh, awesome. They're giving back. Like I really was. Well, originally they said that they were giving 20 to 25% of their profits to charity. $400 is not nowhere near 20 to 25%. Do you know how many people have bought shirts? Like you can see more than that on just their Instagram page. So that's the first lie that they told. They stopped stopped pushing that message of the 20 to 25%. And then they moved to, okay, well, we just donate. Okay, cool. You just donate. The reason that they posted that next donation, which was $1,000 and some change was because um, one BBC network out of the UK reached out to me because they found my video and they said that they had been researching this company and some others about this particular scam. And so I helped BBC put together a, um, a, uh, a program on one of their networks about Mate with Melanin and all the other brands that may, that are associated with Mate with Melanin. And so BBC, because they are a, a you know, large network and they want to, you know, cover their basis, they had to email the people that they found responsible to say, hey, before we put this up, we just want to, you know, let you know that we're about to do it. And if you have some a response, this is the time to give it. So the people responsible or allegedly responsible replied and said, oh my gosh, no, it's not us. We don't know what's going on. Don't do this. Don't put this up. This it's will like ruin some my white reputation. guy from Massachusetts, right? Some are in that <clears throat> in the Northeast. So, yes. So I do believe that there are a group of white guys from Massachusetts that are managing the site. That is what I believe. In the video, you'll see that there is one person who I connected to the domain purchase. And so that's what's on the website. I mean, on the video. 
But as soon as BBC reached out to them, within 24 hours, a new donation popped up. And people don't know about this private conversation that's being had, letting them know, hey, we know that you all have not made any donations to the Black Lives Matter organization. This right here is fake. So like, what's up? Then all of a sudden now they have a new donation up. So it's literally people wanting to do good. People like you, Jessica, who want to do good, who want to, hey, I want to support and they, they say, hey, oh, somebody reached out to me. Oh, thank you. That, that made it so much easier. Let me, okay, yeah, I love this shirt. Let me just buy it. And now it's, it's going into the pockets of these white dudes that live in Boston because they're liars. And so that bothered me. It bothered me that white people were taking advantage of this movement and doing so for profit. And it's one thing to say, I have no qualms about a white person supporting anti-racism. Like we need everybody as an ally. Yeah. I have a problem when you're, you're making money off of it. That's, that's gross. That's just gross. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And I've actually, I think I had told you, I had heard some other stories on Facebook groups that I was part of where even within the Latino community, there was a, somebody who apparently had her husband was Latino and she said it was a Latina owned business and she's white. And I'm like, but, and then somebody was like, should I say something to her? Because I, you know, being Latina myself, she, this is what she was saying, being Latina myself, you know, why is this person representing themselves as Latina when they're not, their husband is Latino. So I was just, I think, but with the Black Lives Matter movement, I think people are even more jumping on that. Mm -hmm. And it's really sick. It's really disgusting that somebody would take advantage of people who are truly trying to do something and truly want to help and truly, you know, um, how can people properly vet companies, whether they reach out to them or whether they find them? What is the best way to properly you did a lot more digging than I think a lot of people would ever do. Yeah. But what are some basic things that people can do to vet the people and companies that either approach them or if you or they find that they want to work with or support? What are those things? Yeah. So there are a few things that you can do to, to vet a brand. First, if anybody is reaching out to you as in a direct message and giving you a coupon code, and asking you to be a brand ambassador, it's a scam. Like there's, that's not how it works. Um, as somebody who works as a quote brand ambassador in the way of like influencer marketing, and also somebody who has been a brand ambassador on television, trust me when I say that is not how it works. When, if you do not have a contract, you do not have an agreement with the brand. So it does not matter what they say to you in your direct messages. Oh, we're going to post your picture. Um, just buy this shirt or yeah, we want to represent if it get it in writing. That's the first thing. Always get it in writing um, and signed by both parties. So that's the first thing. Just be mindful of people who are DMing you. Um, it does not mean that everybody who DMs you is a scam, but just be mindful. Is a company. You're, paying, you're not, you're not an ambassador. You're like an affiliate. Well, if you're paying, you're not anything but a customer. Yeah. If you're an aff- affiliate, also don't pay. Like if I'm an affiliate, I'm an affiliate technically of a brand called Splendid Spoon. Mm-hmm. I could reasonably like send people a bunch of links to Splendid Spoon, but I don't. I just 
because I'm not interested in the 50 cents, dollar, $2 that comes from people. Like, it's just not a good use of my time. Um, But what I do is they send me free food every month. I use that, that, um, that food to create content. I talk about Splendid Spoon. I use Splendid Spoon. I like Splendid Spoon. So this is like a legitimate relationship. I'm not interested in the affiliate money because for me, the food is worth more than that for me. Um, you know, cause that's what a hundred dollars worth of food and groceries that I don't have to buy. Like I'd rather have that than, you know, affiliate yeah, money. Send it over to me too. <laughs> <laughs> right, Exactly. You can send me a hundred dollars worth of food. <laughs> right. So I'm like, yeah, just, I'll just don't worry about that. But, and you know, so no, you're not an affiliate. You're not anything. You're a customer. If you have okay. to buy product, you are a customer. So when you're looking at a website, find a human with a name. That's the thing that that is not on the Made with Melanin site or any of the sites that are connected with that particular group of brands. There is no owner with a name on any site. If you can't find that, ask questions. Who is the owner? Can you send me their social media um, handle? Because they probably have one. If they're if they're reaching out to you, especially on Instagram or if they have an Instagram page, they, the owner probably has an Instagram. Hey, so, so where- let me tell you what happened with me. The girl, mm-hmm. like it was the same photo an individual that messaged me and she said her name was Amber. And I was like, Oh, are you the person who's on the, you know, on the page? Mm -hmm. Is that you? And I honestly don't remember if I got a straightforward answer or not, but I think I got enough of an answer where I assumed it was like, that's what that girl's name was. Her name Mm -hmm. was Amber. Yeah. Well, so-called Amber is a stock image. Um, the black woman that they have in there, you can go to like unsplash.com and find that same woman on a yellow background. Like she's a stock image. She's a model. Damn. So like she's been used on like the department of education promotion materials. It's, it's literally just a model. Um, so that's why I said it's important that on the website, you see a person's name and you see a person's face. Um, so that you can say, okay, oh, this is, you know, Ashley or, you know, Sarah or Michelle or whoever. And this is the person who owns the company. It's really easy to, to open a Shopify account. Um, anybody can start a Shopify account, start a store and drop ship things from other countries, never have to actually buy anything, any product and send out merchandise. Anybody can do that. You can, I can launch a, if you give me an hour, I can launch a Shopify store. So it's important if you want to be intentional about how you are spending your money and you want to connect it directly with specific types of people, groups, and communities, then you have to find that owner page. So I think that's fundamentally how we address a lot of this. I've done quite a bit of the technology searching because I knew that they were hiding. So for me, I had to dig a little bit deeper because I'm like, there's no owner. There's no, the addresses are PO boxes. Um, I can barely get any, any information off the domain. Like it was just so cloaked. So I had to dig a little bit deeper to find. So I just chose, I knew you were going to ask me that question. So I just chose this. The simplest thing that you can do is find the owner on their website, go to the about section, see who, see who's there. And if you can't see it, email them and ask them, Hey, can you send me the LinkedIn profile of the owner? Can you send me, um, the social media page of the owner? Um, that's the, that's the way that we get around that. And that doesn't take a lot to do. Cause I right. think that's like, people won't have the time or the patience to do all the digging that you digging. Right. That you did, but 
if you, if you could just go, like you said, to that about page and find an owner an email or something, that's still something that could really make a huge difference because you don't want, if you're really genuine in regards to supporting BIPOC businesses, that is like the most simple thing that you can do right. to find out who it, to make sure that it is owned by somebody coming that community, you know, from these communities. I think that's really rad. And I appreciate you reaching out to me, by the way, because, you know, we went back and forth and we're sending voice messages to each other and, (laughs) and everything, because I instantly, as soon as you told me, I'm like, what? Tell me more. Tell me everything. (laughs) We went into the cheese mate. (laughs) We got into the cheese mate really quick. Really, really quick. You know what? Not everybody was really, I, I mean, I appreciate your openness because not everybody I messaged was like, super keen because they realized that they had made a mistake. So I got a quite a few of like, you're just an evil person trying to take down a black owned business. I'm like, listen, I promise you I'm not, but okay. <laughs> I just really, yeah. Cause a lot of people, they wouldn't even entertain it because they assumed they held so tightly on that assumption that this is a black woman's face. And oh my God, I hate when black women try to tear each other down. Like, no, like you have no idea that you are lining the pockets of some 22, 23 year old white men in Boston. You have no idea. Yeah. And, you know, and in my messages, I tried not to be, you know, accusatory. I'm just like, hey, I, you should look at this thing over here. Cause you weren't, you know. I didn't take it like that at all, obviously. Yeah. Cause I was, I think it was, I don't actually, I should probably bring up that message. Let me see if I can bring up that <laughs> message and, and say, cause I didn't feel like that at all. I didn't feel like you were being accusatory or like, what the hell are you type of doing? Okay, I found it. So what you sent me was, because we did a lot, you just actually, you just said, unfortunately, Made With Melanin is a scam. And then you sent me a YouTube link that you did, how um, it says, exposed how this white-owned brand is preying on Black folks. Yeah. And then, and then I was just like, wow. And then I, (laughs) then, and then my first thing after, because I did watch the video, I was like, I'm so mad now. This was my response. I'm so mad now because amplifying and sharing voices that come from communities of color is very important to me. So I'm mad that I wasn't more diligent. Now I took the, I, for me and me only, I took that responsibility on myself that I wasn't more diligent in looking to really find like who was behind the brand Mm -hmm. because these, these stories and supporting and amplifying voices from communities of color. That's what this whole podcast is, is based on and informed on. And it's so important to me. So I was pissed off at myself, to be perfectly honest. I was really upset with myself because I was like, I should know better. Like I should have known to dig a little bit deeper. And I felt so I was mad at myself. I couldn't be mad at anybody else except for me. And I could be mad at that company for representing themselves. But ultimately, as consumers, it's up to us to decide where our money goes. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for um, for the connection. I appreciate it. I, my hope really with this brand and this group of brands is that I'm just looking for accountability, right? Just acknowledge like, hey, no, we're not the black lady whose photo we keep using over and over. Um, We are black guys. You know, this is, and we are white guys. And, um, you know, we wanted to make some money. We we saw that this was a a hyper-interested group of people and we saw it as an opportunity to make money. Now, if after saying that, somebody still decides to support you, they make your money. 
because yeah. now you're giving people the opportunity to choose as opposed to deciding for them. And I think that's the thing that disappointed people the most is the fact that you are, that you're lying to them to where now they can't make a good decision. They can't yeah. make it the decision that they want to, to make. You're, you're removing their ability to choose. And it's why I'm very much aware of every single move they make. Like I am, I am on them. Like I'm a dog with a bone, like every move they make, you say, well, what did they do last week? Oh girl, let me tell you this, 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 and this. And then people also DM me. They were like, Oh, did you see this? Oh no. Let me go look. Oh, I I messaged you. I'm like, Hey, send me another met like some other person (laughs) sent me another message. And I like instantly told you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I am on them like white on rice, every move they make, I'm aware of it. Like when they bought a new domain, I'm like, okay, you made, you bought a new domain. I'm going to tell everybody, you know, okay, you, your website's gone. Okay, cool. Your website's back. Cool. Like every single move they make, like I will not rest until their website is down. Yeah. What other, have you run into other companies, not just the companies owned by these guys from Made by Melanin? Are there other companies that you are aware of Girl, you could give them the freaking like, yes, this, 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 and this. Let's shout them all out, right? Not shouting them, yeah. let's shout them down, let's say. For sure. Well, I'm not sure if you're familiar or you heard about um, That So Gay or That Sounds Gay. Um, they were one of the brands associated with, with Made with Melanin. They were part of that group. They actually um, focused on like gay pride and that kind of stuff. Obviously, That Sounds Gay. Um, there are at least... 15 brands under that same name. I'd have to like look at my list. Let me actually look at my list right now. But there are other brands that I look at for different reasons. So as an example, um, there's a brand called Vegan Cuts that I actually did an interview with. Um, I lost the interview, (laughs) all the video content, but we had a conversation because they were interested in playing an active role in anti-racism. However, they didn't know necessarily the steps to do, or at least that's what they said. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, it ended up being just a bunch of words. And, you know, they were trying to hide the fact that they really just didn't care. Um, and we were able to kind of dig in and understand that through a live conversation. So a lot of what I do on my page has to do with brand accountability. So with Vegan Cuts, they had sent me an email about all the changes they were going to make and the initiatives they were going to do just to be a little bit more um, intentional about how they engage in the community and blah, 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 all this BS, BS, BS. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. I check in with them in what, four months later, and they hadn't done that one thing that they said they were going to do. And so when I, so when I say things like, I don't support this brand, it's not because I'm canceling them on the front end. It's because I'm actually having a conversation with them. We're talking about things that you're, that they're going to do. I'm helping walk them through making these changes. And if they make a decision not to do it, then that's when I put them on blast. We don't support them. Here's why. Um, I also did a video on with Bob's Red Mill, which is a company, I think they're in Oregon. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I also have a video on them and I went to their website after hadn't having reached out to them to start a conversation, um, I extended myself for free to say, Hey, I can help you be more inclusive. I can help you understand what diversity means in, in the context of your business. Um, especially in the food space, because I think, um, I have quite a bit of understanding of how, what racism looks like in food, because food is basically political. And even though we have enough food on the planet and no, we still have hungry people. It's about resources and power. So I can help people. I can help brands do that. Right. And I was doing it for free in June. 
Long story short, Bob's Red Mill decided that, oh, we don't need any help. We're good. I was like, oh, you, you sure about that? They were like, yeah, we're, we don't need to talk to anybody. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And they were the only brand that said it just like that. Like, we don't need to talk to anybody. And I said, oh, okay, um, cool. So I went on their website and I saw that they have like a 500 member team and every single one of them is a white person. I said, oh, well, that makes sense why you don't need anything. You're, you're good. I can understand why. So after I posted that video, um, it started to go viral. I posted it at like 3 a.m. By 12 o'clock, my phone was ringing from Bob's Red Mill. Like, hey, um, oh my God. So I feel like we had a misunderstanding. I'm like, oh, did like, you? How can you misunderstand? No, we don't need right. that. Right, right. There's a misunderstanding. So I said, so they were like, well, I mean, ugh. so we, we would love to talk to you. I'm like, oh, you're not getting it for free now. Like I was offering you for free. Like people are charging thousands upon thousands of dollars for these types of conversations right now. And I was giving it to you for free. So no, um, but you can have 15 minutes to try to explain yourself out of this. And so we did, we had a brief conversation and they were like, yeah, so, uh, so glad we talked. So are you going to take the video down? <laughs> no, I will not, but I will happy, happily do another video with you where I can ask you these questions and we'll do it live. Jessica, let me tell you. So we had planned to do live. We were going to do live on my Instagram, live on their, their Instagram. So we're, I'm sitting there waiting for them to go live. I'm supposedly talking to the director of marketing. We're sitting there for a good 15 minutes. They were like, oh, well, I don't, well, I don't have access to our Instagram. Okay. Well, I mean, I'll wait. I mean, I'll wait. I mean, you can just, you can email whoever has it. I'll wait. So we sat there for 15 minutes. Like this part is not in the video because I had to cut it because literally we were sitting for so long. He was like, well, you know, I, we're just not sure if this is the kind of content we should put for, you know, our, oh, okay. So you want to hide now. I have called you out in public and now you won't even have this real conversation in front of your people because you don't want them to know how shady you are. Right. Okay. Well, I'll wait. I'll wait for you to go on Instagram because right now we have all these people watching and you can either hide and then I'll call you out for that. Or we can have a real conversation. And I was really nice in the conversation. I asked a lot of very pointed questions about, tell me what's really going on. What happened in this email thread where I was basically shut down in a major way? And why is your entire team white? Like, what is that about? Like, how do you have, how did you hire 500 white people? Like that just doesn't even make sense. You know, now I do understand that they have a very high white population where they, where they are. But the fact that you didn't even acknowledge, like you didn't even notice it. He says, you know what? It wasn't until your video, this is from Matt. He says, it wasn't until your video that I really realized how white we are. You go to work every day with all white people and you didn't notice that there were no people of color in the room, none, zero. So I was actually encouraged by the changes that they said that they were going to make. They made some adjustments to their hiring practice. They added signing bonuses, especially for specifically for people of color to move to the area so that they can offer them positions. I'm like, see, that is an intentional, that's intentional forward motion. Yeah. And that's what I like to see. Now, is there still some stuff going on? Yeah, I'm sure. But we were able to make incremental change by having this conversation. And all this could have actually been done behind closed doors, but they decided to be rude. And then we had to go public. Well, unfortunately, sometimes that's what has in order for change to happen. You have people have to be blasted because yeah. we see how much has not changed. Right. Until this year, mm-hmm. like with this whole well, to last year. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know not everything could change like overnight, but still it's nice to say like we're out of 2020. Right. You know, I've said this several times before and and I I will continue to say it because I really believe like 2020, the year of vision, I really believe it opened a lot of people's eyes to things that they were not willing to see previously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes in order for people to open their eyes is something radical, something. And, and it's so sad that it took something like seven minutes and what, 57 seconds or something like that with, with the neck on, you know, with the knee on George Floyd's neck. Like it is so sad that that's what it took for people to look at it and go, Oh my God, maybe there is a police brutality. No fucking. And and I don't, and there's this thing where people think you can still want transformation and still believe there's a problem with police brutality. Those are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Like you can, you, so I think people think, well, you're not supporting police. Well, I actually happen to know a lot of police officers and I know that they're not supportive of a lot of that stuff too. Right. I know that they're like pissed off. And I know a lot of police officers have said like, they can't say anything because then they're the ones who are targeted. Right. Like we have to change it from the inside out, whether it's police, whether it's an organization or a large company or whatever. If those things, if we're not able to to talk about it and share it and put people on blast, right? Because unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes to make, like you said, even incremental change, Mm -hmm. which is crazy that we had to take all these small steps for something to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, You, let me see. I don't want to lose my track because there's so much, right? (laughs) And with all the stuff that you do with might be vegan. Oh my gosh. Let me read a little bit of all of the things you do. Cause it's girl, you've served busy executives, families, celebrities, professional athletes. Tell you, you, you're the creator of the, the meats hashtag meats to beats challenge. Yep. What the heck is the, I have not heard of the meats to beats challenge. What is the meats to beat challenge? Yeah. So the from meats to beat challenge is something that I launched in, I think 2000 and late 2018, where I help people go plant-based in seven days. So the program is a national program. It was alive in about 50 cities. And so we would come together as a community. And then every single week, we have a new batch of people that we're introducing to what it means to go plant-based and how they can do that sustainably. Um, So right now, it hasn't been active recently because... Honestly, when the pandemic hit, I kind of pulled the plug on a few things because I was like, so many people are just focused on like staying healthy and keeping their jobs. I don't want to have that as another thing. So I pulled that from this year, but I'm planning on in 2021 to launch that in a couple of maybe like next quarter to like re-up it and then start getting more people active around um, the From Meats to Beach challenge. So, yeah. So if people want to, because I think it was very hard for people to, people did one of two things. They got really, really healthy in 2020, or they just were like living in sweatpants. And I (laughs) was in between. I still put on jeans just to make sure they fit. (laughs) I'm like, do they fit? They button. Okay. We're good. (laughs) That's kind of a, that's my otherwise I'm in like yoga pants or sweats. (laughs) Where am I going? Nowhere. (laughs) Exactly. That's my wardrobe. Yeah. So what are the easiest ways if somebody wants to start incorporating, because I am not vegan nor vegetarian, but I do make vegan recipes and vegetarian recipes. 
I incorporate that into just things that I cook all the time. What are some of the easiest ways for people to start incorporating more vegetarian and vegan um, staples into their diet without feeling like they're giving something up? Yeah. So I think the the big piece that most people um, have the hardest time with is the idea that meat is necessary. It does not mean that when you're first getting started that you have to, it's an all or nothing kind of thing. Like you can decide, I'm just going to pick maybe two days out of the week that I'm going to go meatless. When you do that, it's important to one, start off with finding some recipes that you really love. So I would just recommend Googling like your top three favorite recipes and then put vegan in front and finding the vegan versions of that or putting vegetarian in front. That makes it really easy to kind of get the flavor profile that you like without losing what you love. Because for me, it's all about seasonings. It's all about herbs. It's all about that. Because that's really what we like. When people say, oh, I can't do without chicken. I can't do without steak. I'm Have like, I promise. Zero seasoning in exactly. Exactly. If you've ever eaten chicken with nothing on it, then you don't like chicken. You like Guess seasoning. What? The, only pers- the only thing that has chicken with nothing on it is when I make it for my dog. <laughs> that's the tummy. He made white rice and boiled chicken. That's like... That's the only time that there's unseasoned chicken in this place, in this house. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so if we all we have to do is translate that. So if it's like, okay, I like fried chicken. What did you put? What did you season it with? And then you find an alternative that you can do the same thing. I know not everybody's keen on cauliflower. Eggplant is an option. Jackfruit is a new thing that a lot of people have been trying as an, as an option. If you are, are not gluten-free, then there are seitan options, which is made with wheat. And then there are stuff you can just literally just buy at the grocery store that's already vegan stuff if you really want to try it. It just tends to be a little bit more expensive because sometimes people say, oh, it's expensive to eat healthy. But yeah, if you're buying all of the specialty stuff. But if you can just do it at home, then then there you go. I actually use mushrooms quite a bit as as alternates. Um, I made stuffed mushrooms the other day. Ooh. Um, I had... Uh, like a crudite platter. Look at me thinking I'm all freaking fancy. It's just because I'm talking to you. That's why. Because I'm a food person. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then, oh, I made bruschetta. Mm. And so, yeah, girl, I was like, so yeah, it was, it, I think it can be. I love using jackfruit. Um, I've done jackfruit pulled pork. Mm-hmm, I love that. And yes. And my friends go, they were like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I've done a, I like doing a, I love eggplant regardless. So I've done eggplant Parmesan. I've also done eggplant pizza. Ooh. So here's the key that for some, I don't know how people don't know this. Cause my, I have, a, I've had a lot of vegetarian friends tell me like the eggplant that I've made has been the best, but I think it's because people don't realize you have to salt it and salt let it, it sweat out. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like, gotta salt it, let it sweat out, turn it over, salt it again, let it sweat out, pat it dry, and then you can use it. And then it doesn't have that bitter taste to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah, sometimes too. <laughs> yes. No, I love it. I think for me, the the sweating of the eggplant works anytime I'm doing a dish where I don't want, um, like you said, the bitter taste or if it's it, it can hold too much water. So it makes all of my dishes like super wet. Yeah. Um, so there are times where I'll do like a um, uh, like a tomato based eggplant recipe where I don't salt it at all because it's going to be wet. And so I don't salt it. But mm. um, definitely. Yeah. Def- salt, salting eggplant is is like fundamental. So kudos. Thank you. Thank you. I don't, I'm sure I got it off like Pinterest or something on how to do it. 
Pinterest mm-hmm. is amazing. It's amazing. And I started out with one day, I would do meatless Mondays. Mm-hmm. So that's how I started. So what you're saying yeah. totally makes sense. Yeah. So I have all these recipes for meatless Mondays. There's so what would you like to see with not only might might be vegan, but just in general, because I know you use that kind of it's not just about cooking because you go to your your Instagram and it's really about social justice, brand accountability, all of those things that you were saying mm-hmm. is really what's under the might be vegan platform. Yeah. What would you like to see in 2020 and beyond? 2021. 2021. Yes. Sorry. 2021. Okay. Um, so for 2021, our focus is still on food love. So we didn't talk much about food love, but it is a program that I launched in the during the pandemic to help communities of color who were experiencing food insecurity get fresh plant-based foods directly to their doorstep. So And is that was that strictly in Atlanta, what area was that? So that program is national. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So Food Love is the only national program of its kind that is fully plant-based. From what I have been able to research, it's the only program that's like it that has been founded by a Black woman. And we've won a few awards for the approach that we take with food insecurity. So I said all of that because what I would really like to see in 2021 is I've got the ear of some politicians, of senators because of this work. And I want to see some changes in food apartheid because in so many black and brown communities, people just don't have access to foods that are healthy. And it's kind of intentional, you know, because... We have all of this junk around us and the stuff that's good for us costs too much money. So it's like, we have to pay extra to live either way. It's either we pay extra for the healthier foods or we pay extra after we've like messed up our bodies now and we're having to pay the doctor and for all this medication. So I'd like to see changes in that. I'd like to see brands step up, recognizing the issues in our food system. Mm-hmm. And literally make change to the industry, not just helping feed people, but actually change the food industry. Like that's what I'm looking at for 2021 and beyond that. Because oftentimes when you go into black and brown communities, there are often food deserts, meaning there's not fresh food available. How far do they have to go for a real grocery store that provides fresh fruits and fresh vegetables versus just all this processed food? That is so awesome. No, I didn't see that on your thing or else I would have been talking about that. (laughs) Yeah. Your bio, because I didn't see it on here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'll update it. But what's so interesting is we, we used to use the term food desert. I use that term quite a lot. And then I moved away from the food desert term because a desert is a desert because it is, right? It's sand. It's mm-hmm. it's empty because it's that. It's right. like, it's because of environment. But apartheid is something that is the result of a system. It's the result of people doing something to cause it. And so food apartheid isn't accidental. It's not people the fact that a grocery store is not available is not because of just circumstance. It's because it's because just one real example in Raleigh, North Carolina, there's an area in South Raleigh that's considered food apartheid 
because the one grocery store that they had um, left, Kroger left. The problem is that space where Kroger was, no other grocery store can be, can go there for years because that's the agreement that Kroger made with the property. So when we talk about food apartheid, this is real legitimate system, systemic issues. It's not just like, oh, the grocery store is gone. Another one should come. No, they can't come because Kroger said, oh, no, no, no. You can't be in our spot. We need some years first. Is there something that can be done to put pressure on Kroger to change that? And that's, I think that's part of when I say that I want to see systemic change in the food system. I think that's part of it because we have to acknowledge where these policies are leading people faster to their deathbed and to their sickbed. Yeah. The fact that we have all of this fast food in this area and the fast food is cheaper not because, um, and the, I'll say it again. So the fast food is cheaper and we don't have a Whole Foods. We don't have a, a quality fitness center. We don't have, you're not going to find those in low income communities, not because they couldn't be there. But if you were to ask like, you know, the famous orange fitness center, why they aren't in a black community? Oh, well, you know, we just want everybody to feel safe. Like that's the kind of response that they get. Well, we came here. Oh, well, you know, we want to be near our um, uh, the the our, our demographic. So, are you saying that you are saying not? You don't want somebody. right, but that's I mean, but that's fundamentally what it is because you're not in a black community because you consider black communities, brown communities, you consider them unsafe. You know why a lot of times you feel unsafe in those communities because the people there fear feel unsafe. You know why? Because of police brutality, because of the the lack of opportunities that they have in those areas, because everybody is trying to figure out how they're going to pay because they have to figure out how to pay the next bill or feed themselves because we have so many issues of just systemic oppression. If we address that, if we give communities resources, that's when you create safety. That's how you create safety. It's not it's 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 never about or it's never been solely about this. It's just, oh, here's a gun. Mm -hmm. It's never been about that. People have guns because they're trying to protect themselves from people who would steal things. People would steal things because they're trying to pay their bills because they need to buy stuff. Like (laughs) we're looking at the fruit of the tree as opposed to the actual tree. And I think that's literally what we've been talking about as it relates to police brutality is because there's this idea that inherently black and brown people are violent. But when you've done so much to us, and you've put these images of who you think we are, and then you've taken out our resources from the community, what, how do you expect people to respond? Yeah. Like if I'm a mom and I have to take care of my kids and I have to decide between, am I going to, going to steal this bread or have a, a, um, a child that is hungry? I'm stealing that dog on bread. Girl, we could go into so much. We're going to have to do another part. We're going to have to do another <laughs> part. Just talking about this, just talking about yeah. security and everything, because There's so much that I know you can probably share and everything. And, ooh, I just feel inside. I don't feel the wine. I feel myself burning up for so, (laughs) oh, so irritated and so mad because I feel like I get, you know, every time we start talking about in any episode, anytime I start talking, I just, for me, it's so hard to wrap my mind around when people say certain things. And I'm like, what is wrong? Like, are you heartless? Like, I don't understand where that, that this certain mindsets come from, because I don't think that way. So I'm always like, I don't, 
I feel like I get myself flustered because I can't put myself in those shoes because yeah. I don't get it. Like, honestly, I just don't understand it. But yeah. what if people want to learn more about you and the work that you do and everything, where can they find you on social media and your website? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at it's Kimberly Renee. You can also connect with me on my website, mightbevegan.co. And when I asked you to describe your life in one word, you said focused. Yes. Tell me why you chose that word. I'm focused on creating the change that I want to see. Like I, I am already the change that I want to see. Now I'm ready for that to spill over into the rest of the world. So I am, I am focused on that. What have you learned about yourself during quarantine? Oh, geez. Oh, I learned so much. <laughs> I was spending time with my, with my mom and I learned a lot about my own. I learned about personal triggers that I didn't know were there. I learned how I behave around my mother and why I behave that way around my mother. That was kind of a new thing that I just had not processed yet or even was aware of. Um, I actually shrink as a person when I'm around my mom. And I found out why throughout the pandemic. I was like, yo, that's crazy. Wow. That's like so valuable. Yeah. Valuable lesson. Yeah. Um, Well, we, we start... And we end every episode with wine. So do you, first of all, do you drink wine? I'm sure you at least cook with wine. Yes, I cook with with wine or do you drink wine? And if you do, what is your favorite wine, red, white, or rosé? And do you have a specific brand? So I, I do not drink wine, but I do cook with wine. Um, And for cooking, I would say reds are my favorite um, because I love the beefy flavor that they pair nice with. So like if I'm doing like a, a beefless French onion soup, it goes really nicely. As far as brands, girl, I don't know nothing about wine. As far as brands, I always <laughs> ask them when I get in there, I'm like, so I'm trying to cook with something. What's this? What's this? I'm not as good with it. So I'm not even going to like make up a story. Um, but yes, I definitely love reds. Kimberly, I'm so glad we did this. I had such a good time talking to you. You are so sweet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm so glad we got to do this. Like we turned this around really, really quick. And we're starting the whole cheese man. I was like, I want you on my podcast. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. You're so amenable. I love that. Until next time, mi gente. All right. Thank you. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Man podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Met on our website, thewineandcheesemetpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at the Wine and Cheese Met on Instagram and at the Wine and Cheese Met Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese Met, subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos!